0: Welcome to the Ag Future podcast presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the future of farming, food, and nutrition. As the poultry industry continues to reduce or eliminate the use of antibiotics and adhere to increased regulatory control on pharmaceuticals, what can producers do to ensure their final product is free of harmful bacteria? I'm talking with Dr. Kayla Price, Canadian poultry technical and research manager for Alltech Canada. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. It's been a year since the veterinary feed directive was imposed requiring livestock producers provide a prescription for antibiotic use with their animals. The move is in response to growing reports of antibiotic resistance among the human population, but these superbugs are popping up everywhere, uh, resistant strains of bacteria in humans and animals. Dr. Price, how is the poultry industry responding to consumer and federal demands that antibiotics be cut out as much as possible in livestock production?
1: Well, I think as a part of your question for the U.S. specifically, you touched on it. One of their responses was saying, look, we need to be able to respond to this. And this was coming into the Veterinary Feed Directive and Without going into the true details of it, it's not necessarily a true prescription per se, but making sure that there's more stewardship or oversight of the drugs that are being prescribed or being given either on a treatment basis or to some extent on a preventative basis. So that would be kind of the, the U.S. direction, whereas if we start looking to some other places, so where I'm from in Canada, we've gone in the direction where we've decided— to move towards, again, veterinary oversight, but prescribing these drugs. So drugs which were once used legally uh, as preventative antibiotics in the feed at lower levels now are moving towards prescription in what the Canadians call the Veterinary Drug Directorate. So this is, again, allowing for much more of this oversight and also much more ownership of what it is that we're putting into these birds specifically. And if we look to globally, other folks have gone into directions of putting in place regulations. If you look towards the EU or the UK, regulations of how these antibiotics are used, when they should be used. So the idea here is, again, more of this ownership and more of this oversight of when these drugs are used and how they're going to be used because if we need to treat sick animals, we need to treat sick animals. But at the end of the day, if we can do better when it comes to prevention in terms of using alternative strategies, then let's do better on the prevention side and save those antibiotics for prescription when it comes to
0: treating sick animals. And your specialty is partially in providing methods of disease reduction in poultry like coccidiosis can you explain a bit about what this disease is and why it can be so rampant in poultry from backyard chickens to the large commercial house operations?
1: That's a big question. And I say that with a smile on my face because I spent so much time working with coccidiosis. So I'll try to kind of bring it back down to a smaller level. So essentially what coccidiosis is, is it is a disease which is caused by the parasite Imeria. And there's many different species of this parasite. It's very host specific. So the parasites that will specifically infect chickens will infect chickens, and then you have parasites which will specifically infect turkeys and so on. But the end result is essentially the same. and it's a it's an intestinal parasite. So it impacts the gut barrier, basically breaks through the gut barrier. so the gut is not able to work as a defense anymore. Very, very simply. So now the bird can run into problems with the gut not working as well, like wet manure, having diarrhea, also um, being not performing as well um, because they're sick. So the problem is, is when we talk about coccidiosis, the severity of the, uh, the disease is really a numbers game. So the more parasites ingested, the more severe the disease and at low levels, you can create uh, almost like a live vaccine, which is used very commonly in the industry, but you need to make sure that you're having proper cycling to develop this immunity. The problem is, is that it can be very difficult to manage. It can be successful when done right, but it, on the other hand, it can be very difficult to manage for producers who are coming in and learning this for the, for the first time. So then at that point, run themselves into this risk of having more of this impact down the road on these birds. So then what we want to be sure is because it's, it's, a again, a disease that's impacting the gut, we want to make sure that we're trying to maintain the health of that gut as much as we possibly can through many other different ways of, of doing that, as well as working with um, trying to have an impact on that parasite itself.
0: And how has this disease and others in poultry responded to antibiotic use? As resistance becomes more problematic, how has that influenced alternative methods of control?
1: So with coccidiosis specifically, I guess if we start looking back at how prevention is set up within the industry itself. So there's kind of two arms, I guess you could say. You have your anti-coccidial drugs arm. So that would uh, take care of ionophores and chemical coccidiostats, which are used to help in the prevention of coccidiosis, that parasite. Then the other half, you have your antibiotics arm. So these would be um, antibiotics, uh, either preventative or to some extent treatment, but I'm just going to talk about the preventative side. That would help with um, bacterial infections or secondary bacterial infections. So if we look to coccidiosis as a disease, Part of the problem is is if it's running through the bird at low levels, it's creating this change. It's essentially having a negative impact on that gut barrier. So it's creating the change in the environment in the intestine, which allows the or gives the opportunity for bacteria to start taking over. And often what gets paired, I kind of call them sisters, so to speak, um, or brothers, uh, but what gets paired with coccidiosis ends up being necrotic enteritis, which is caused by the bacteria clustering perfringens. This is a bacteria that loves to eat protein. It can't make protein. So the proteins that are released from breaking down the intestinal barrier, it takes fully um, advantage of. So stepping back, if we go back to those two arms of our prevention within the industry, our anticoccidial arm and our antibiotic arm, we come to dealing with our coccidiosis issue just as much as dealing with a bacterial issue, which which is often trying to deal with necrotic enteritis. So in that case, on the preventative side for antibiotics, what we're trying to do in terms of regulation is to start pulling these back or have more judicious use. Whereas on the anti side, if we look to, again, what's happened in places like UK and Europe, as well as Canada and the US, there are still allowing some anticoccidials being used. So Canada and the U.S. allow chemical anticoccidials. Ionophores have a little bit of antibiotic activity. So if we're talking raised without antibiotics or no antibiotics ever, the ionophores would be taken out. But otherwise, we would would still have that arm. But we need to make sure that we're doing things on the alternative side to help with the antibiotic arm. So to, to supplement what else it is that we're doing.
0: Public health groups are putting pressure on big buyers such as restaurants and fast food chains to no longer purchase from producers that use any kind of antibiotics. But there is some gray area here with um, a group of antibiotics that you mentioned called ionophores. Mm -hmm. Um, Medications like Monocin, because they're among the list of in-feed antibiotics, not considered medically important to uh, human medicine by the World Health Organization. So groups like McDonald's have announced that they are pulling back from purchasing meat that has a history of antibiotics, except it has given a pass to the ionophores. So how do you feel about that, allowing ionophore still in the system?
1: So I think with this, uh, it kind of comes back to, like I had said, those, those two arms. Um, we really have to think about our, our parasites are different from our bacteria. So the two arms are quite different. And with the ionophores specifically, even though um, some bodies believe there are some antibiotic components to them, the main aspect of using these ionophores is very, very specific to the parasites in which uh, they're being used for, um, just as much the, as the chemical stats. So if we look to areas where they've decided that they need to have more oversight of The antibiotics dealing with the bacteria in live animal production. They've said we need to still make sure we have a handle over the coccidiosis side because that can be very difficult to handle, especially as we're dealing with birds in larger amounts. And again, with with severity being a numbers game. So they've made that decision that the antibiotic aspect of the ionophores is relatively low that uh, doing sort of a cost-benefit analysis, it's of more benefit to use it to help with the coccidiosis aspect. So if we start looking to companies that are saying they want to have more oversight or try to reduce or eliminate antibiotic use, they've sort of had the conversation with their industry members and said, we can handle this if we tackle the antibiotic arm but it can be very difficult to handle if we completely get rid of both our antibiotic and our anticoccidial arm. So it's it's not an easy decision, and it can be very difficult if you start looking at it from uh, the marketing perspective just as much as what's actually going to work on the farm. But again, in terms of being able to allow our producers and allow our farmers to have the right tools and the correct tools to manage their birds effectively, uh, some people have made that choice that they are going to allow these ionophores and allow a strong anticoccidial arm so that they can make sure they have a strong oversight of prevention when it comes to bacteria and antibiotics.
0: Do you feel like these ionophores could eventually be weaned out of a nutrient management program, or are we just not there yet with the science?
1: That's a very good question. And I think some people have. To be quite honest, I've already answered that because some people are raising these birds as a part of the Raise Without Antibiotics program or No Antibiotics Ever program. They're raising them effectively without using ionophores or anti or um, chemical coccidiostats. So whether it's with live vaccines or whether it's with other alternative products, on that side as well as good feed management, good water management very good operational excellence when it comes to the farm itself um, and bird management. And they're kind of putting all of that together and, and doing it very effectively. But, which everyone will tell you and what my customers will say, it's certainly a learning curve to get there. So it doesn't happen overnight. You can try to jump right into it, but that's not as easy as perhaps what you think about. So in order to get to the point where they're doing this well, It's taken a a long time for them to get there and a a very good transition process. And in that transition process, being able to use that anti-coccidial prevention arm that includes both ionophores and and chemicals. In terms of taking out ionophores completely, I I think something like that, um, we need to make sure that there's always choice, not just for the consumer who's purchasing the meat at the end of the day, But choice for our farmers in how they're able to raise these birds so that if they need to go into their toolbox with something that can help them, um, let's say it's for a flock, let's say it's for two flocks, and maybe then they can go otherwise, they need to be able to have that choice and that opportunity. So that's why I think part of the reason why the debate on ionophores is is still going on today. And and I think for that uh, point, I think it can be done. But I also think, on the other side, you need to be able to at least have that choice, specifically when it comes to coccidiosis prevention.
0: What kind of research have you seen on the impact of um, these antibiotics in water? I, I ask because the overall message with all of this is that management seems to be a holistic approach. Any one thing can affect another. Do you agree?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I think um, I think the holistic approach to management is critical. Because if we're only thinking of things just as one thing alone or thinking in these silos, I really think we're completely missing the point on how we can work with these birds and how we can produce meat or or eggs or chicks or poult. So... You really need to have this full picture look at it, not just what's happening on your barn at this specific time, but also starting to think about, okay, well, what's happening before my birds come here? What's happening after my birds come here? What's happening on the breeder level and sort of that full circle um, completely in between? Again, also thinking about operational excellence, but making sure there's really good communication and a strong management team, not just on the producer level, but also with the nutritionist, with the veterinarian, to have that complete sort of trifecta, if you will, of everyone that can come together and make sure that these birds are raised as well as they possibly can be, and producing good quality, safe meat or eggs at the end of the day.
0: You mentioned that there are some producers that have been able to go No antibiotics ever. What are some of the alternatives that you've seen that they are using?
1: So there's a full range, and some of the alternatives would be looking towards using complete programs together, which could include things like uh, mannan-rich fractions from the outer uh, yeast cell wall. You can. Some folks will be using things like essential oils, like organic or protonated trace minerals. You can look at probiotics, prebiotics, and to be honest, herbs, plants, the list really goes on and on and on. But I think at the end of the day, in terms of all of these different options that are out there and tools that are out there, I think... The best ones really at the end of the day are are putting these different ones together, putting these different combinations together strategically and using them strategically in your management program to complement what it is that you're doing both in the feed, in the water, and on the farm.
0: Kayla Price is poultry technical manager for Alltech Canada. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ag Future podcast presented by Alltech. For show notes and more episodes, visit alltech.com forward slash ag future.